1: Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, listeners. I know many of you out there are independent entrepreneurs, educators, trainers, publishers, and of course, podcasters. If you're looking to monetize your passion, you have to check out memberful.com. Used by the biggest creators online, Memberful is providing best-in-class membership software for entrepreneurs and has everything you need to run a successful and scalable membership program. You can send paid email newsletters, for example, without connecting to a third-party email provider. You can also handle things like custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay, free trials, paid trials, in-house referrals, and so much more. And most importantly, you retain full control and ownership of your audience and your brand. Setup is super simple, so get started today at Memberful.com. That's Memberful.com and start earning. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed. We speak with all kinds of entrepreneurs and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. My guest today is one of the youngest individuals inducted into the marketing hall of legends, a testament to a storied career in the agency world. He is Tony Chapman. Tony has spoken around the globe on various topics related to marketing, advertising, branding, and communication. His latest venture, Chatter That Matters, is a platform that includes a national radio show, podcast, and more. In this round two with Tony, we chat about the world's biggest brands, including many who are listed in the latest global brand rankings. We also discuss influencer marketing and the rise of TikTok, childhood education, and more on the future of higher ed post-pandemic. Critical forces of change in the wake of the pandemic and what trends we can expect to remain with us as we move beyond COVID in 2022, my fingers crossed, and much, much more. So with that intro out of the way, let's get right to the show. Here again is Tony Chapman. Let's dive in. Happy New Year, uh, Tony. It's amazing to have you on the show. Uh, This is round two, obviously. Um, I think where I want to start is with brands. Uh, it's an obvious place to start with you. And we continue to see an evolution here. 2021's global brand leadership, uh, excuse me, leaderboard saw some obvious names in the top five, uh, perhaps some not so obvious names round out the top 10. So let's just discuss some of them here. would love to get your perspective. So if we look at the rankings this year, you know, Super obvious, Amazon in the number one spot. Apple number two, Google three, Microsoft four. Surprisingly, Tencent is in that top five spot. And then we've got Facebook, Alibaba, Visa, McDonald's, and MasterCard round out the top 10. Do any of the names stand out to you as surprising in terms of making this top 10 list?
0: Well, you divide them into two camps. The first one is people or brands that are helping me get to where I want to go. So Amazon's put a you know, a vending machine on my phone. So I get that. And I certainly get Tencent in terms of what they're doing in terms of content, software, uh, payments. Where I'm surprised, interesting enough, where 10 years ago you would say, of course, the number t- one in the top 10, brands like McDonald's. Because they're, you know, they, they provide affordable gut fill. Uh, they're reliable. They're dependable. But they're certainly not taking me to a different place in life where the ones that are really out there, you know, Google lets me search the world, translate the world, map the world, you know, Microsoft in terms of everything they're doing, including the relationship through LinkedIn. These are, these are people that are really helping me accelerate life, accelerate my career, uh, make things frictionless and effortless. Those are the brands that I think are going to continue to grow a- exponentially. And many of them are also based on the subscription economy so that they're they have recurring revenue every month, which means, uh, and through that recurring revenue also means recurring data. So they are going to continue to be this massive snowball pounding down almost at avalanche level. And I think the ones that will fall out and get crushed are the ones that are just transactional, like a McDonald's or or even a Mastercard.
1: Yeah, you know what I found surprising? Netflix didn't make the top ten, nor did Disney. So Netflix is in the twenty-four spot. Disney is in the thirty-third spot. Given the fact that, you know, the past two years, uh, a lot of us have been locked down, uh, at least part of the time, we've been working from home, Uh, streaming services have gone through the roof, I found it surprising that Netflix and Disney missed the mark here.
0: I think if you labeled streaming as a brand, it would be number one, because I would say to you that people love the fact that the content they want is within arm's reach of desire. Where they get a little frustrated is the show I've talked, somebody just talked about in my virtual water cooler, I can't get because I'm not a subscriber to Amazon Prime or Netflix. But in terms of streaming as a brand, absolutely revolutionary. It's, and it's decimating the cable industry and the, and the broadcast industry in the States because people don't need to be chained to a cord anymore.
1: The slowest percentage change uh, in terms of increase, year over year increase uh, in brand value in these top 10 names is Visa with only a 2% uh, brand value percent change from 2020. They're still in the number eight spot. MasterCard also just a 4% jump. Conversely, Apple's jumped 74% in terms of brand value, no surprise. Amazon 64%, uh, Microsoft 26%, Facebook 54%. So these are big jumps, uh, perhaps not so obvious jumps. But I look at these Big names in financial services, the Visas, the MasterCards of the world, and what's happening with the disruption of payments in general and the rise of cryptocurrency, for example. So, what do you see going forward in terms of the payment space? And do you think Visa and MasterCard lose value here going forward? You know, if you just look at Visa's stock price, uh, they're down nearly 11% over the past six months.
0: It's a great observation. I think that they're going to be Ubered. I use that as a verb with somebody that's just sitting there, top of the world, duopoly, in their case, charging merchant fees they're making money on, they're making money on transaction fees. They've got their banks as their Trojan horses to, to access customers in a very efficient way. So it's just, uh, it's, it's, it was a wonderful model. And then FinTech comes along and says, I'm going to start going after where the, there's the least path to resistance and payments going to be one of them. Foreign exchange is going to be another one. And that's where Visa and MasterCard, if they don't find a way to rethink their business model, but it's very difficult because that's going to mean reducing their merchant fees. It's going to be uh, maybe getting into crypto, maybe making what they do obsolete. And you it, it rarely see a legacy business become the next Uber.
1: Moving over into the fastest growing, the top 10 fastest growing brands in 2021. So these are brands that didn't necessarily make the top 10 list. However, they are growing at a faster clip than anybody. In that number one spot is Tesla. Number two, TikTok. Down in the number six spot, Instagram. And then Uniqlo, Lululemon, Chipotle, and JD out of China round out the top 10 Anybody on this list that you feel is worth talking about, and um, why do you think some of these names uh, are are hitting the sweet spot, so to speak?
0: Well, Tesla's a great example, and you know, you think of this genius, this guy, Elon Musk, that everybody was putting down as a madman a few years ago, and think what he's doing. He's recycling rockets and landing them on platforms in the ocean. He's now suggesting that the next evolution in battery life is going to be exponential, He's, he's imagining that we will one day in our lifetime see a million mile battery. So you think about getting a car that you don't have to recharge for a million miles. And you, know, you start thinking of how far he's reaching. So every time he talks, he's attached to the Tesla stock. And you got to remember that his belief that Tesla, the real value is going to be in the battery and the battery you put in your home to harness the sun. So he's, he's, uh, I don't, I'm not surprised. And I think that he's going to become the Rockefeller of our generation. Everything you're seeing out of China right now, uh, including TikTok, including the, you know, uh, Fortnite, uh, is to cl- is to collect data, is to understand how people think, feel, and behave, and to use that to monetize. So, you know, most of what they're doing is through gaming and content creation, which is very addictive because I'm no longer uh, having to read the news; I can contribute to it. And so I'm not surprised that they're doing it because, and they're consuming a lot of people's time. I mean, when I see what my nieces are putting out on TikTok and in the backseat of a car, uh, you know, seven minutes later, they're producing a video as an agency I used to charge 50000 for. And there's not that much difference. Lululemon, I'm very impressed with how they've re- their narrative is changing now from yoga wear uh, to really becoming an advocate for a lot of things that matter to women and they're moving, they're a higher purpose, uh, they're extending their range of products. Will they last? Fashion brands come and go, and it's very difficult to hold on because, you know, it's a market that's very fickle. So I'm surprised they're on now. And then anything to do with fast food is the same thing to me. It's, it's the flavor of the month. Beyond Meat was probably someone that we'd be tracking two years ago and said that, you know, this thing was worth Crocs Shoes was one time worth $4 billion. So these, these, these brands are going to come and go. It's the ones that are consistently helping me get to where I want to go. I call it the Yoda factor. I trust them. I rely on them. I navigate by them. I bank with them. I, I play games with them. I get my uh, resume to the right people with them. They're the ones that have the lasting power, and those are the ones I continue to follow and marvel at how fast they're innovating, once again, based on the data they're collecting.
1: When you look at retail and the way it's been beaten down the past, even pre-pandemic, you know, the past decade, let's say, what do you think the next chapter of retail is?
0: It's definitely moving online. I think it's, uh, you know, some Lululemon is a beautiful example as a brand you can comfortably buy buy online. You know, it's not like uh, you have to try it on. It's not a piece of fashion you're wearing Friday night that just has to fit perfectly. The sad thing about retail is that more and more is moving online, and they're doing it with incredible cost advantage. One, again, I'm going to say this again, because of the data they're getting, they understand exactly what you're looking for. So every time you go to their store, they can reconfigure it. I walk into a bricks and mortar, and this bricks and mortar is there for the masses. I walk into a great online operation, it's there for me. I say, you have to get personal. It's no longer about place. My place is now my hand. It's no longer about promotion. Price, It's not product, because online it's infinite product. And that's going to be the future. It's going to be very much empresarial, highly personalized, highly specialized. And the ones in the middle are sadly going to get decimated, which is a horrific for our economy, uh, for the energy of our main streets. But that's just how good online is becoming.
1: One of the things Lululemon did do is make an investment in connected fitness, acquiring Mirror for a near $500 million price tag. Having said that, they've revised their forecast for Mirror downward. And I find it interesting because Connected Fitness has gone nuts. You know, Connected Fitness has done a great job in, in terms of delivering perhaps what fitness looks like in, in the next decade. So what do you make of that space and brands like Tonal, Mirror, Peloton? Who are the winners going forward? Who's doing it right? Who's potentially doing it wrong? And do we come back to in-person fitness post-pandemic?
0: So this is the interesting thing about Connected Fitness is based on an insight. We're social creatures. We like to work out together. We like to give each other positive affirmation. We like to nod because someone else is in there at 5 in the morning in the gym with us. So after the pandemic goes away, we're certainly going to go back to that. But there's definitely going to be a category of Connected Fitness that's online. It's going to go everything from you know what Fitbit did by just counting steps. I mean, who would ever thought counting steps would be something as part of our vernacular? I own Mirror right now. I would acquire two or three or four of the top fitness instructors in the world, make them rock stars, make them available online as a freemium model. Have you can then subscribe to their more premium offering, but if you really want the most the best example, if you want them in your workout room at home, then you need to acquire a mirror. Trouble is we tend to get so caught up in our technology and how cool it is, and you know, you're gonna be able to see yourself in the mirror and work out with somebody in the mirror that we lose really what matters. And with Workout, what matters is willingness, perseverance, turning it into a habit versus a, you know, something I do for a week after New Year's and a reward system that where I can be rewarded not only what I see my progress, but the people that matter to me see that progress. To me, you, you connect with that, you've got a business. You don't, you just got the next piece of technology that's gonna come and go.
1: You've hit on a couple bullets here though that Peloton has done really well, number one, They've made their instructors uh, pseudo-celebrities. And and number two, they are basically giving away the hardware for free and making up all the margin on the back-end access to classes uh, on on that recurring revenue subscription pricing plan that most Peloton members uh, are a part of. So when you look at a brand like that, do you think that they've got the kind of staying power to attract a potential acquirer like a Nike, like an Apple, which some have speculated this year like do we see Peloton change ownership in 2022?
0: It's absolutely a great target. Apple is the one that would say do I, am I diluting my brand buying that or should I just create my own brand and do it better I would bet on Apple doing it organically, uh, someone like Nike doing it through acquisition just because of the way they're wired
1: you, you know you talk a lot about attention and this idea of how important it is, and how hard it is to get in this age of big tech. So why do you think brands are struggling in this area? And what do you think they can learn from individual influencers? Let's say, for example, Charlie Demilio, who I think made over $17 million last year off of TikTok. What are individual creators like Charlie getting that brands are missing here?
0: So I'll break it down into three parts. I think attention is the oxygen of all human endeavor. Teaching, mentoring, parenting, uh, getting an idea heard, getting somebody to look at your resume, marketing, selling, leadership, without attention, you have no path to persuasion. You have no path to engagement. You need somebody to pay attention to what you have to offer. Most brands today are starving for attention because they lack a uni- unique selling proposition. They're very me too. And we're in the age of noise. Too much and too many is chasing a finite amount of time. But what you can learn from the individuals is how important it is to connect to passion points and to stop thinking about reach and frequency and think about the quality of your engagement. Think about what matters most to the audience you're, you're chatting with, and how do you become part of their story versus telling yours. When I look at you know, someone on TikTok or somebody that might be making $12 million a year teaching you how to master Fortnite or Minecraft, these people are helping you master something you're passionate about. You're, they, they are, and I, the, the message I would give to every university in the world, including Harvard and Oxford, is in the future, you're no longer going to be the rock stars. My degree from Harvard is not going to matter. What will matter is these 20 or 25 professors that are considered the best in the world who are making $10 million for their ability to uh, uh, synthesize and, and project content and get people to teach is where the money in education is going to be, because IBM in the world is going to say, Adam, if you want to come in and t- and become a coder at, at IBM, here's the seven courses I want you to take. And you won't be coming in with $100,000 in university debt, but you'll be coming in being taught by some of the best in the world.
1: Let's go down the ed tech path for a moment, because you bring it up. So that is interesting, because higher ed, I think, has lost its value proposition, it's certainly front and center during the pandemic. People realize that, it's a high price to pay for, you know, not having an in-person experience. And half of the value of a university experience is 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 the social life. And when you point out you're going to come out with hundred plus thousand dollars in student debt, is it of any value? When you can piece together the skills necessary to compete through other MOOC platforms like a Udemy or Udacity or Coursera or whatever, and I think it's interesting to watch the shift and see what's going to happen there. You know, perhaps some of those brands you mentioned at the top, like the Harvards of the world, the Yales of the world, maybe they continue to remain where they are. But I wonder if the sort of messy middle go away.
0: I think the messy middle and the, and the lower schools are in serious trouble, especially for their cost or infrastructure or the pensions going to tenured professors. But even Harvard of the world, and this goes back to our initial, earlier theme, are they prepared to make the professor... Of the similar value to Harvard. Because Harvard says, I will choose and curate the professors. All you need is a Harvard degree. So they can hold on as long as that Harvard degree is valued and people are getting the return when they graduate. But if the major corporations of the world start recruiting the best talent in high schools, they come to a young Adam at age, at, you know, grade 10, and they say, through a variety of online testing and gaming and seeing what you're doing online, this person's curious. This person goes, it's so many different veins he's interested in he'd be an unbelievable critical thinker and they go recruit adam and say look we're going to start in the summer taking you to critical thinking camp with other people like you so you're going to get all that social interaction and by the way while you're critical thinking we're also going to teach you about greek philosophy and we're going to teach you about other subjects that we think really will hone your skills and by the time your uh second year of what would be normally university you're working four months a year for IBM, eight months in school and holidays, and then that continues to shift. That might change everything, and it might happen overnight because organizations are in such a talent war right now, and they're realizing that they're going to have to start really mining the right minds earlier on and teaching these people more how to think and learn and adapt and transform versus what I would say is the textbooks and case studies we're getting right now in universities, often uh, for the benefit of the professor, not the student. Athletes are recruited at 9, 10, 11, and 12 in fast track. There's no reason why education uh, is going to have a hard time competing with organizations that do the same. Okay, I want to
1: circle back to the whole influencer discussion. Um, I put a pin in something. So, you know, TikTok is interesting because what you see happening here, and I think it's sort of just the first inning of the shift, but... Over the past decade, you had uh, the biggest platforms, you know, surface and support these influencers like Facebook, like YouTube, like Instagram, Twitter, to some extent. Now you've got TikTok. How do you think the maturation of platforms is going to shake out over the next five to 10 years? And do you think that these influencers are going to go one step further and realize that being too heavily indexed on one platform is actually a risk? and they're gonna to start to think about building much deeper, closer relationships directly with their audience.
0: We all like affirmation. There's nothing better than wearing out a, a new suit jacket. And people say, hey, I love your jacket. You know, I get a haircut, I like your haircut. I mean, we're, we're, we're wired that way. So I think that the the question that you come to with influencers is the thing they wanna do is to continue to build and monetize their community. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think they are, particularly consumed by a channel, although some really have hit one like YouTube and they're making a fortune on it, it'd be very hard for them to move away. There's no doubt that there's some influencers that have just a one trick pony, done really well, monetized it really well. But I think these people are smart enough to know that as their community moves, they must move in step with them. If they don't, the danger is they'll be left behind. So somebody that was a massive influencer and some of the more mass channels like Facebook might very quickly see that that audience has moved on to somebody that's more interesting. So I would think that their diversification is key for them. You you know, you're a parent.
1: I'm a parent. One thing I always worry about is, you know, you you use the term affirmation. I use the term validation. Young kids seeking validation through the number of followers or the number of of likes that they have on a certain platform and sort of validating their self-worth on the basis of their presence on a TikTok or an Instagram. To me, that is a very scary thing. That's the opposite side of the coin. I am concerned that, you know, my daughter who's nine sees a Charlie D'Amelio, for example, who's got 100 million followers who made 17 plus million and thinks that that's a career. Uh, To me, that's a scary thing.
0: So the first thing I'd say to you is that the validation and affirmation of social media is simply very smart programmers realizing we like to know where we stand and we like to improve on it. Second thing is, the question you'd say is, you know, do I want my my daughter to think that there's uh, uh, a possibility that she could grow up and be a TikTok influencer and make $12 million a year? That's really a parental decision. But I would say to you that there's a lot of parents that put a kid on the ice and two days later start dreaming of them going to the NHL. And so I would think that the best thing I would hope would come out of a lesson like a TikTok influencer or someone else is how do they do it? Why do they do it? How are they monetizing it? And what can you learn from that?
1: You know, you raised the question of, I think, without saying it, you raised the question of work ethic and, and valuing work ethic and trying to dissect, you know, the strategic pillars of what someone is doing on TikTok, or one of these platforms to get to that level, much the same way that they would become an NHL all-star and the steps prior to that that they had taken or had to take in order to get themselves there. I think it's a very different thing these days having to navigate these social media platforms because they're so addictive. And we know there are real mental health risks with engaging on these platforms for so many hours in a day. So that's the concern that I have. And that's, I think, the conversation that a lot of parents are having.
0: You know, you're making a valid point, but I'll I'll play devil's advocate for a second. And before Instagram or Facebook ever came along, Dove did a white paper and realized that only 2% of the women in the world felt beautiful. And the reason why they were chasing false beauty stereotypes, how Hollywood presented women, Mm -hmm. how they retouched women on magazines, and that every time women came in touch with pop culture, they felt less worthy. And that's a real problem because we, you know, these magazines sold these movies sold tickets because we created this false stereotype. And a lot of mental health issues with that. And I would agree with you that social media is that on steroids because it's impossible to uh, put a filter on the amount they consume. And when I look at things like Snapchat and Tinder and how dating's now moved into almost gaming, uh, it, it, It worries me beyond belief because we're going to the very essence of humanity. What do I truly value? Is there human left in humanity? And I think that it's the sad thing is a lot of it's going to be placed on the shoulders of parents, but now I'll push back. But these are the same parents when I go out. uh, Now I no longer have my kids at home. When I go out to dinner with my wife and I look around, I see a lot of parents with their kids, and all four of them are on screens. So it's a great balance between what you can do online that improves you as an individual and what you do online that undermines you as an individual. I certainly not the one with the answer other than I'm glad I'm no longer, I'm not a parent of young children.
1: Mm -hmm. But you do talk a lot about education um, and where things are headed there. So we've had a lot of changes uh, during the past two years, Uh, schools opening up, schools shutting down, um, parents questioning the education system on a number of levels. If we just take a snapshot of say elementary through high school, what do you think we're going to see going forward?:
0: I think parents are going to about to snap, and they should be. I believe, as Nelson Mandela said, that uh, a nation's future it, it really is valued by how well we educate our youth. I think we're doing a horrible job, and again, I think there's some great teachers in the system, but I'll give you a couple examples. Our school year set up for harvesting? agriculture why hasn't that changed when science for the last 30 years has proven irrevocably that the best way to teach kids is in pockets and give them a short break in pockets and a short break why haven't we changed why is it that we're spending more money now than ever on bureaucracy handlers when there's less kids enrolled because of demographics why aren't we got more working dollars pouring into the classrooms why aren't teachers the the best teachers being paid twice as much as they're being earned for their ability to teach. And the bad teachers weeded out of the system because their inability to teach or they've lost interest. It's no longer passion. You ask me, and I'm very passionate about it, if I was solving a problem, I wouldn't start with what I have, I would focus on what we need to have. What are these kids going to be like when they graduate? What is their world? And I can tell you, they won't be competing for jobs within a boundary, they'll be competing for jobs in the cloud. Machine learning and AI is going to populate every quarter of their marketplace. They're going to need to come up with an ability to learn fast, learn quickly, and be passionate about learning their entire life. We are dealing with a relationship between our government and our unions that don't put our children first. And and if if anybody wants to argue this is not union bashing, but the days you went from your role of to protect the livelihood of your teachers to now controlling when schools are open or closed and what the curriculum is, I don't believe the... Union should have a role in curriculum until all of that changes we are going to be uh, as a nation falling behind other countries that are investing in education and, and much less per student than we are by getting much more in return so I think
1: this is an important topic and it's one that's being debated at all levels uh, across different provinces and states south of the border you know California is an interesting Use case because, to my knowledge, they are exploring for the first time ever a policy called Schools Choice, where parents, or at least the bill, if passed, would allow parents to opt out of the public school system and receive their stipend back. You have, say, a stipend per child of roughly $13,000 in the state of California. What the bill is actually saying is if you don't feel like your kids are receiving the proper education, that you believe they deserve as a taxpayer, you have the right to opt out. You can receive that $13,000 stipend back and you can invest in say private education or some form of it. And that is your right.
0: I'm not sure that's the answer because the people left behind the school system will be dealing with something that's going to decay so quickly because the money will be pulled out. Or the government's going to double the education budget. You're going to have your money back, but I'm going to keep the same amount of money in the public school systems. I can't see that happening. I think what's going to happen is it's going to be much more interesting. It's really going to be where most of the change is happening. Uh, From the entrepreneurs, they're going to come up with an idea. And it might be a parent that says, listen, I don't want to go back to work. I'm going to start a a one-room schoolhouse with 12 kids. Uh, and parents, I'm going to take care of your kids, so don't worry about whether they're going to shut schools down on or off. And I'm going to, this is what we're going to teach, and this is what's going to be our curriculum. And we're going to use Khan Academy. We're going to use all these online resources that are available. The kind of teaching they're doing where they can't get teachers remotely. There's a great, uh, it's very old now, but there's a film, uh, I still believe it's on YouTube, called "The Hole in the Wall, where in northern India, they couldn't get, some of the poorest areas in India, they couldn't get people to teach. So one day a person just put a computer in the wall and the cl- the crowd and the people started mingling around it. And today that models some of the best educated kids because they're taught together.
1: In some of your keynotes, you discuss other critical forces of change. Um, we're talking a lot about education right now, but I'd love to get your perspective on some other major changes uh, that we can expect in 2022. Now that we're two years, hard to believe, two years into the pandemic, What changes do you think are temporary and which ones do you think are permanent um, that are worthy of talking about here?
0: You know, it's a great question and we will certainly study this for decades to come. But I think coming out of it, the people that have the right things in the knapsack are going to have incredible power as talent. They're going to demand their their ticket, how many weeks off, where they want to work, how they want to work. And for the next five or 10 years, as long as AI doesn't keep up with them, they're gonna have an incredible, uh, perfectly paced speedway. The COVID's done so much for them because it's it's freed them from the system. Second thing is I think reshoring, partially because of nanotechnology, ability to uh, 3D printing, uh, we're gonna see many more things come back home. And within, uh, you know, like we saw with food, we want things that are within 100 miles we're going to see you know, the ability that we can print our own face masks and we can do things where we relied on uh, uh, you know, importing it all. So I think reshoring is going to be a key component. I think that the smart countries are going to make big bets. You know, If I was Canada, I'd be making big bets on agriculture to feed the world, energy to feed the world, water to feed the world, entrepreneurship to solve some of the problems of the world. The saddest thing, I think, out of COVID, is we've never seen such uh, humanity divided it's not just divided by rich versus poor it's been divided by ethnicity it's been divided by our leaders it's been divided by our political beliefs and social media is forcing us into these castles and coming out of it if we don't reclaim the middle ground if we if we don't if we continue to accept a democracy where our leaders are trying to u- divide versus unite and focus on for the party versus for the people, we are going to see a collapse in democracy. And that's the biggest worry I have coming out of COVID. Democracy is being challenged in every democratic nation in the world.
1: How would you suggest that we begin, not even find, but begin to try and find a middle ground here coming out of this?
0: You know, it's a great question, and I've thought a lot about it. And I wish I had an answer other than it's either going to be uh, uh, a Gandhi, Mandela, uh, Thatcher, if you buy if you happen to be a Thatcher fan somebody with such a force of leadership that captivates a nation and unifies them on uh, a, a plan forward versus being one party or the other. We as a society maybe have to start marching to demand everything our forebears fought for, which is freedom of speech, our freedom. We don't need to be over governed. We don't need to have, you know, when they, when I hear governments going to now want to filter what goes on in social media, I mean, you know, if history repeats, then you don't have to go that far back into time to realize that there was a lot of societies that started started down this path, and you know, people thought it was just a you know a little policy that suddenly became a very different society very quickly.
1: Um, I think part of it is cultural. I think we're you know at least here in Canada very complacent, very conservative, and don't often stand up and, and, and march as as you say.
0: We're over we're we're overfed. I mean, we get three meals a day. We get we're not hungry. You know, when immigrants come to this country, they're hungry. Mm-hmm. You go to Africa, a good friend of mine from Africa, he says you might be guaranteed one meal a day. Believe me, you work hard to get your second meal. Mm. We're not hungry here because we're fed. Three meals a day. We we've we've you know, we're living under the illusion that we have uh, universal health care. We're under this illusion that all of this stuff uh, it, we're provided for, but we, we, we're doing so because we're boring vast amount of money on the backs of future, future generations because COVID was an inconvenience to us. It wasn't a wall. If we had not had SERB, if we had not had it, I think we'd be a very different nation. I'm glad we did because the last thing we want to see is anarchy. But I, you know, the same reason I think parents are about to snap with education. I think society is, is about to snap with all of this lockdowns and rules and uh, that are being imposed on us.
1: You know, um, speaking of the lockdowns, it's very interesting to see the way that this is shaking out in America. I mean, to a lesser extent here in Canada, but um, you almost have, you know, two separate, completely separate systems, ways of 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 governing, you know, in Texas, they've been living basically normal there uh, since halfway through 2020. And of course they do have COVID, they recognize it exists, but they, but they treat it like a common cold and they, they manage it and, uh, they keep the economy online. They keep schools open. They don't have the same kinds of, of mandates or lockdowns that they have say in the state of California or New York. I think to your point, there's a lot of COVID fatigue. People are sick of lockdowns. People are sick of these policies, especially folks that have decided to get a vaccine and people want the right to go back to work and people want the right to send their kids back in schools. And they believe the government has too much power.
0: As society, we have bought, nobody asked for this, nobody was prepared for it. There's not one political leader I'm faulting because that wasn't in their playbook. But I do say two years later, the fact that we haven't increased our ICU beds, the fact that we haven't got a better handle on where we should be investing, the fact that instead of giving small business all these handouts, we could have invested in better filtration for them and kept them open. You know the fact that we haven't done anything proactive other than waiting for the next wave and shutting the economy down is an embarrassment of leadership 100 beginning i'd say there's nothing to be embarrassed about nothing to be embarrassed about we didn't know it was coming right we had to, we saw with Italy, new york we had to take these drastic steps now lock down and get another booster shot is just an embarrassment and that's the problem right now and that's a government that's uh thinking about polling thinking about their unions thinking about their political base and not thinking about uh, uh, being proactive uh, as, a, as an economy. And it's, it's an embarrassing. This last lockdown, we'll see, and I know a lot of small business people say, I was just hanging on for the Christmas holidays, mm-hmm. and to see one last chance, we are going to see a devastation, like a forest fire has gone through our economy, and wake up to the realities of what this lockdown has caused, and the beneficiaries of it, which are all the big businesses that were allowed to stay open.
1: Okay, Tony. Well, it's a pleasure having you on for round two. A a lot of great debate, a lot of good discussion that I think is important to have now that we're heading into a a new year, hopefully a a much better year than in 2021. Obviously your show, Chatter That Matters, people can find the show anywhere they get their podcasts. Um, Where else can they see what you're up to, Tony?
0: Well, I, I mean, I have a weekly radio show on nine markets on Fridays at noon called Chatter That Matters, the podcast, uh, chatterthatmatters.ca, obviously the website, but it's uh, just, you know what, you said it earlier, community. I've got a community on LinkedIn where I post things that some people agree with, some people disagree with, but you know what, maybe we're moving everybody towards the middle ground because there's some people on LinkedIn that have sure, sure changed my mind, and I think there's times in LinkedIn where I've changed other people's minds or at least made it more open-minded, and I think if we all work to make each other open minded, maybe we can break down some of those castle walls and get back to building the uh, the Canada that we all deserve.
1: You're here, here. Again, Tony, thank you so much for joining me today. And to listeners, thank you for tuning in and a happy 2022 to everyone who is listening. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. E2 is brought to you by Scriberbase. Build your subscription business and thrive more at scriberbase.com want to start your own podcast in 2022 visit e2coursehub.com for more info on our step-by-step guide to bring your show to market if you like what you heard today don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your audio you can also visit us at glow.fm forward slash e2 to become a supporter until next time make today count with whatever it is you're working on